Wake the dead. Wake the dead. Wake the dead. With Sean McCann. Greetings, and welcome to another Wake the Dead. Today, we are pleased to have a great friend of the show, his first time here as a guest, Mr. Brandon Martin. Brandon, welcome. Howdy, Sean. It's great to be here, man. Well, it's great to have you, brother. And uh, we've, you know, we are brothers from another mother and I you know I'm very glad to have you here on my show today uh you're even a fellow Buckeye here in Ohio yeah. and uh you know it's we're like neighbors and I'm glad that we're finally getting to do this show and um you know it, if I've been juggling shows and trying to get ideas out there and I'm glad that finally today we get to sit down and have this conversation yeah man I've been following your work for a while I've really been enjoying it and I know you, you reached out to me, you know, reached out to me a few times in the past and I always enjoyed the communication that we had. And, you know, I really like your, your gear, your logo, the anarchist uh, <laughs> that you got, you know, I remember printing up a, a shirt back in the day of one of those, oh, which was yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man. The, the pyramid one, that was, yeah, that, the pyramid I'm, one. Yeah. I'm proud of that design. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It was so cool. So I really enjoyed that. And it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to finally be on here and I get it. We always juggle projects, you know, we got all kinds of stuff going on. You know, I, I feel that. So no offense that I haven't been on here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, man. Doing the work. I'm just glad you're doing it. Cheers, man. Thank you. Yeah. I, it's like, it comes from inside. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like I have to talk about this or that. And, um, you know, and your, your seat, you are the creator and, um, uh, host, I guess, of the seed conference that's been yes. going for many years now. And, uh, you invited me to Seed Four. Uh, we're, we've been friends on the internet, uh, on Facebook, and such long before I got kicked off Facebook. <laughs> and um, and you know we know we know each other pretty well, and we're you know very well acquainted. And um, and you invited me to put on a presentation for Seed Four. And before that, I'd never really done a presentation. I'd never really put my thoughts in order it to put it out to the public and you inviting me gave me a little kick in the butt to get me to line everything up and get my my thoughts straight and to create a uh, a video and that was kind of like that kind of pushed me off into the deep end and then i started swimming from there and i thank you for that because i don't know if i ever would have started <laughs> <laughs> right right it seems to be like my trend because I'm the one who got Douglas and Nathan to start doing stuff too with the, with the seed conference. So yeah, it was a pleasure to have you on. Your presentation was great, even though it did get censored, obviously, which was horrible. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah they yeah. cut the stream halfway yeah. through, man. Yes, they did, which was horrible, but it was a great presentation. You know, you got really deep into topics. I'm actually writing an essay on, on Eyes Wide Shut. It's one of my favorite movies, honestly. So I've done a lot and, and your work kind of, you know, helped me to see a lot of other things that I wasn't connecting in that. So I was really appreciative of that. 
Awesome. Yeah. If you if you have any questions or you want to talk about like uh, off air, talk about the essay. Like if you mm-hmm. know if I can help in any way, contact me in any you know. Yeah, any maybe way. I'll send it over and see what you think of it. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so yeah, you've, uh, you started this conference and, uh, you've been in the, you've been in the, the crew for a long time now and you've Mm -hmm. been doing like, how many seed conferences have you done so far? Five? Uh, we have the fifth one coming up in September. So it will be September 23rd and 24th of this year online. Um, so I started it back in 2017, I believe, uh, which was the spring of 2017. I was trying to kind of bring in the alternative positive energy during the season of sacrifice, which is what we're in currently. It just started. Yeah. Yeah. It just started. And so I was like, I think that's the best time of the year to do it. But unfortunately the seed five conference, um, is going to be at the end of the year just because there's so many other conferences going on and I don't want to overlap them, which is a really good thing. You know, that's the positive thing. You know, we got the funnel three conference, which I'll be presenting at that as well. I have a presentation called the, the true spirit of freedom, uh, coming out, which is going to be really, really hard hitting, uh, only an hour long, but you know, I'm used to doing like nine, six hour, nine hour presentations. So it's hard for me to fit everything in the one hour sometimes. I agree. It is yeah, tough. it's really, really tough. But yeah, the Seed Conference is an amazing uh, event. You know, top caliber speakers coming from all over the place. You, Douglas, Mark Passio, you know, we got all kinds of great people that are, are feeding off of that. So it's been an honor to be able to put that into the community. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's a really... Um, it not only gave me a kick in the butt, it also shows everybody else, the viewers, like what we can do. You right. know, you're just a regular guy. I'm a regular guy. Uh, James is a regular, you know, Cordner, James, my friend. Uh, he put on a conference too. And the funnel conference is being uh, put together by Will, uh, Will Keller. And these, uh, and uh, Chris Jansen, I think, is, uh, is involved in that as well. And we're just regular guys. You know, and we're we're taking, you know, regular like real information that everybody should have. And we're presenting it in a nice way for people to easily take up, you know, Um, and that should inspire others. You know what? All you listeners out there, what is it that you think about all the time that you really want people to know? How is it that you can put these ideas in a in a form that's easily you know, attainable for other ears to understand. Um, it, it's really a great exercise, I think. And, uh, you know, I thank you very much for doing this. It's very important that we need somebody out there kicking everybody <laughs> in the butt, telling them, you know, getting them. Right, right. Yeah. Get them, get some inspiration, some motivation out there to the people. And yeah, obviously conferences aren't going to be the main solution to the problems we're facing, but it is a step and it is beneficial to spread information. Right. You know? And it gets people together, interacting with each other, especially if they're physical conferences. Yeah. And then also you get um, a, a collection of great workers just bringing so much amazing, spectacular, you know, content to the table. And I always learn more when I do my presentations than I have like on my own, really, because it puts pressure on you. You know, you have to compete with yourself and you have a deadline and you have all these um uh, 
you know, requirements that you have to meet to actually get that presentation done. Right. And, and you want to make sure it's good. You want to make sure it's quality. Right. right. So you're like, okay, I want to make sure that this is going to be good. It's going to be easily digestible, but also straight to the point. And I'm going to have good truth in it and it's going to help other people raise their consciousness or help them with something, whether it's mental health or battling the corruption in the system, whatever it might be. So it's always been uh, a really motivating uh, factor for myself uh, to learn more in many ways. And I was inspired by the free your mind conference. So, you know, I went to free your mind three and I was like, Oh, I own a compound in Ohio. I can do a conference out of my own place. You know, right. I got a big community. So it's like, yeah, I'll just start doing it at my own place. So I, the first conference was actually in a barn at, in, in Ohio, right next door to uh, uh, a big skate bowl, you know, so there's a, it was right adjacent to it. So it was really, really crazy. And the funny thing about that little story here is that it was so cold that spring and so we had to plastic the whole barn up and then put like turbo heaters in there and jet heaters and everybody was freezing. They were bundled up and, you know, but we all sat through it. I mean, it was like 32 or something. It was freezing wow. and, you know, it's a barn. So there's gaps everywhere. There's no way we're heating that thing. Yeah. Uh, but we did it, you know, and from there it just kind of snowballed and just kept going. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned that, uh, that's, that is Skatopia your yeah. your home uh, you grew up at this uh um haven for skaters i guess yeah. your dad uh is a famous skater and he built this this uh theme park i guess for skating <laughs> That's a good word for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's tell pretty- us a little bit about skatopia uh, uh yeah it was uh it was kind of just an organic thing that developed over many years. My dad started skating uh, when he was young and he just was a dedicated rebel pretty much. You know, he just rebelled against all forms of authority besides his own in many aspects like most people do. Right. And uh, and skateboarding was one way for him to express that kind of rebellion into the world. So I grew up in the punk culture, the underground punk scene and skateboarding scene. So I just traveled around the world as I was you know, as a, in my formative, formative years, and then just went to, you know, see like GG Allen agnostic front, you know, he drugged me all over the place, which was hilarious. And then he bought a farm in Ohio and then he just kind of started building, you know, DIY uh, skate ramps so we could get away from the regulations of the city, the building codes and all this stuff, you know, and just kind of do our own thing and get away from the corruption of government. And, uh, and then it just kind of, you know, took off on its own and we built a community and, and uh, it kind of got wrapped up with anarchy because he did espouse many anarchist philosophies. He's like libertarian kind of slash anarchist. And then, you know, there was a documentary made by that. We were on MTV with Bam. I know Bam personally and, you know, all that stuff. So we were affiliated with Jackass. I never got involved with the Jackass stuff, though. Like, I thought those guys were just, you know, disgusting. You didn't let an alligator bite your balls. Yeah, 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 no doubt. And all my friends were always like, you know, like, this is the shit. These are the awesome guys. And I'm sitting back on like, no, there's something wrong with these people. (laughs) (laughs) They might be making a bunch of money, but you know, there's no spiritual prospect here, you know, but it was spiritual about getting a tattoo of your own face across your entire back. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, not at all. So it was an interesting lifestyle. Uh, But my dad instilled in me really, 
uh, libertarian and anarchist principles very early on, right. you know, required readings were 1984, you know, a brave new world, you know, animal farm. Right. So things like yeah. that. He was like, I had to read these before I was in my teens. So he's yeah. like, you're reading these to understand the world, you know, and then he'd sit down and help me kind of make use of these. But it wasn't until I came across Mark Passio's work that I kind of put everything together um, with, you know, all that pre pre knowledge that I had, because I, I read mainly P. Hall when I was like 16. I had the secret teachings of all ages in my dad's library. So, you know, he had some esoteric work there as well. And like the Communist Manifesto, you know, he had some Karl Marx there and. And so I was really raised in a very unique lifestyle as a homeschool too, you know, so I'm autodidactic. So I self-taught, self-learned. And uh, so, you know, I stand out against the grain pretty much when it comes to a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> very unique. Well, man, you know, your dad really gave you a foot in front of everybody else. He mm -hmm. gave you a much better uh, place to stand on mentally than the rest of us that had to endure public school. It was like 12 years of jail. You know? Right. And, yeah. Um, you know, that's really great that you had that. And, um, and it's also good that you, that you have that already, that community already built. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a bunch of people that are fans of jackass. Right. Yeah. And they might not be focusing on like the, like the mental goals that you have, but at least they they agree with anarchy. They agree with self ownership. Most of them, you know. Yep. So even that having that community around you is another benefit for your consciousness. Like um, you you know you already had a lot of the pieces in your brain before you got to the full understanding, and that's you know it's commendable for your dad. And I think that that's great that your family did that for you. Absolutely. It's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't have to go through the type of uh, a reprogramming that a lot of people had to. I had my own reprogramming to go through, obviously, because there's so much mind control out there. You can barely escape any of it. Um, but yeah, it was nice, you know, r being raised with so many anarchists around me and seeing the different factions of anarchy and the different ideologies. And that's kind of why, like, I related with Mark so much because I came from that hardcore background and he came from you know, Satanism and, and there was a lot of satanic influences in the anarchist, anarchist movements when it comes to like just the mini me satanic ideology, right? right just right. me personally as the divine authority, you know, I'm the highest of the high. And, uh, so it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of tribulations that I had to go through as well. Cause it's not all peachy, <laughs> you know, right. nobody's life is peachy, but yes, it was great. You know, I definitely had a foot in the door when it comes to these ideologies, which is, right. you know, why I thank my father all the time for, for doing that. Right. Yeah, that's great. Instead of having, instead of having lies in your head that you got to break down and clear away, you got like the truths that are just disparate and you just got to put them together instead of breaking through the calcified lie that we're all like indoctrinated with. And uh, that's great, man. And so now you uh, you are in this community and you're, uh, you know, you're working alongside Mark Passio and myself. And now um, you're taking the reins and you're standing up to the podium um, and you've done a lot of work and you've been uh, down the rabbit holes and researching. And this topic of anarchy has been like the main 
your main focus, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. I've uh, been a deep studier of anarchist literature for a long time. And, you know, I feel that a lot of people don't really read into the actual authors of anarchism. We have modern anarchists who just, you know, they're like left-wing anarchists or right-wing anarchists. In many ways, most of them left-wing anarchists, right? Yeah. And, it, and whenever I ask them, like, hey... Uh, have you ever read Lysander Spooner or have you ever heard of Benjamin Tucker or Josiah Warren? You know, these um, these American anarchists in, in many aspects. Josiah Warren was one of the first anarchist uh, authors in America, actually. So uh, nobody ever says yes. And I'm like, you know, like, what's going on here? You guys have a discrepancy in knowledge when it right. comes to what anarchism really stands for. And what I realize is that they kind of just fall into the category of this idea where we have the uh, artificial counterculture that came out of the 60s and 70s, right? And then we have this idea of proto-punk rising up from psychedelic music. Mm -hmm. And then we have kind of anarchism rising up in uh, the European empire, right? So in Europe, we have uh, like proto-anarchists and proto-punk rising up there. And then what we know from, you know, many, many hours of study and many great researchers, obviously, that most of that stuff was uh, artificially stimulated and injected into the culture, obviously. Right. Right? And uh, so like the Sex Pistols, obviously, they were just ra grabbed off the streets, you know, right. and, uh, you know, like put them in a costume, yeah, put them in a costume, say, like right. the, the uh, Backstreet Boys of, of punk, right. Right? you yeah, know, right. whatever, right. you know, so it's like how much of it is really organic and how much of it isn't always ran through my mind, that question, you know, and uh, and we could see that there was a trend of hedonistic, like, um, endeavors running rampant through the culture at that time where it was like yeah we want peace but the way that we get peace is just by overdosing on drugs constantly and you know every once in a while you'll get somebody who's actually standing in front of a tank every once in a while trying to stop the authoritarians but really the movement was counter to what they were claiming you know right. it was ostensibly this idea of fighting for freedom and really what it came down to was just another social engineering psyops exactly. and, and and punk and anarchism kind of got wrapped up in that. And then you have these injections of these other ideologies into anarchism during this time period, like neo-Nazism, right? And postmodernism. So neo-Nazism, you know, the skinhead movement really ran rampant uh, in Europe, you know, in Britain and England and all that as uh, punk music was starting to come up. And so we have these... Uh, failures. And the reason why I brought this up is because you ask people, you know, when I grew up in the nineties, like I, I would ask people, Hey, have you read these people? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, huh. how are you really anarchists? They're like, oh yeah, we read Marx. Um, yeah. I'm, this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Yeah. Right, right. Like, what's going on here? So it didn't make any sense that people would claim to be anarchists. But then I realized that it was more about their own a selfish endeavor to rule themselves like they have this natural spiritual defense to want to rule themselves right yeah. but the thing is is that they go so far that they separate from the connection to other people right so it's like i can do whatever i want no matter the consequences is what it became so it became chaos like after G. G. that. allen or whatever right like gg allen you right. know 
Uh, when I first saw Gigi Allen, I was absolutely disgusted. And I know, yeah, I mean, how can you not be? But I know people who like worship him as an idol. Yeah. And I'm like, is this is what you think anarchism should be? You know, like, and it's this idea of just going to the absolute extreme of being so disorderly and chaotic that you're, and this is what, you know, rebelling against authority is actually all about. On the pedestal. Right. right. And it's not really, and it's like, instead of rebelling against authority, it's like he's rebelling against all of the social norms right. that are established. And really that's what he's doing is breaking down the culture. Yes. Uh, like you were saying with the 60s to the 80s, it's like a more refined hammer to sled, to, to smash society with, you know, um, like, I, I don't think anybody, I don't, I don't think anybody gets higher up on the filth scale than Gigi Allen. Yeah. No doubt about that pinnacle of that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's too bad that these people don't actually, I mean, they were fed a culture and like this and the sixties, uh, we all know was, um, you know, everybody was, falling into the like they were trained into the self-worship and the hedonism and uh it seems as though the 80s and the punk scene well i guess from the 70s the late 70s it was it was as if they were rebelling against the 60s yes yes. like oh we don't want bell bottoms and uh, we you know we're gonna cut our hair all the way off and like the Cro-Mags dude or whatever. And, right. And it's like, they're, they're, they say they're rebelling against that, but they're doing the same thing. Just in <laughs> right. costume. Right. Yeah. They become hipsters in costumes. So I always call them the mannequins of freedom because, yeah. you know, you go out to these shows and they're all dressed up and they're styly. Right. Yeah, and they got yeah. their style. So it's a stylism. Right. right, right. And, uh, and they're all just standing there. You know, right. they're not doing anything. So I'm like, oh, you're mannequins, you're lifeless right. objects just dressed up by your controllers. You know, you think you came up with this idea on your own, but you really didn't. And you don't even realize that, you know, right. and I'm not judging people just based off their appearance. I'm just saying that that is rooted in the ideology that's backing those behaviors, right. you know. Same thing as in the 80s with the the uh, hair metal. Right. Had a, had a costume. You know, the people that listen to it wear the costume and then they focus on their looks. I mean, it's just like a like a woman, you know, in the mirror going out for the night. You know, she's got to have her makeup on and her foot dressed just right. Same thing. And, it, you know, it. Uh, it's really it like it, it further breaks down like and instead of and they think that they're being individuals, but really they're conforming to the wider culture. You know, it's really, uh, you know, I'm different because I got this many pins on my jacket. Right, right. <laughs> you know, when everybody's got yeah. pins on their jacket, it's like. Yeah, everybody is wearing some form of symbols, right? We all do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it helps to identify your ideologies and where you're coming from. And you can support your artists. Like if you want to support your bands that you really enjoy, that's right. a really good thing, you know, to support local artists and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. But the the whole idea about anarchism and punk, because they kind of go hand in hand at this time, right? Yeah, they so, were sewn together by the Yeah, that's right. And you, you nailed that, is that... Um, you know, it became something antithetical to what it stood for, which was a groupthink ideology. Right. So once it became a trend, 
then it's like, well, how do you counteract that trend? And then it just multiplies. Like, how do you, how do you constantly fight this battle of where it can be corporatized and become a commerce where you can buy your stuff at hot topic. Right. And you can go buy ripped up jeans and all this stuff rather than actually going out and ripping your jeans by riding dirt bikes or whatever it might be, you know, in the mosh pit, you know, so then you get these, uh, these uh, facsimiles of it, these proxies of that. And, and we do this all the time. We emulate everything that other people are doing. We copy, you know, and then we build upon those copies. Right. So like I copy a lot of my information from great authors and things like that. And I build upon it. So there's nothing wrong with emulating uh, people around you unless it's actually doing harm to what your, your goal is, what your purpose is, you know? And I think that's the whole thing is that people, they don't, especially in the punk and anarchist community, they don't really have a direction. They don't have a purpose. So right. they end up in an atheistic ideology. They end up going down the path that anarchy means no gods and no rulers rather That's than true. no masters and no slaves. Right. right? And then that they're like, put into the, that was in some of the lyrics of some stuff that was, that was trained into their mind. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, so the idea is that they rebel against all authority, even the authority of nature, because they hate nature and they hate themselves. That's really right. what it comes down to, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, it's really apathetic, you know? And it's really sad because you go to these punk scenes, you go to these punk bars or, you know, house parties, right? I've been to so many punk par- house parties, you know? Too, some of them too. are really awesome, you know? Some of them are great. You meet some good people. There's like one or two people that are really really sound you know and you can tell you see it in their eyes you know and you talk to them you hear it in their rhetoric you're like oh yeah you're the real deal but then you look around and it's like these people just they they hate society so much but it's also because they hate themselves and they reflect like some kind of masochism on themselves right they want to do self-harm constantly and they laugh at it you know and i mean we do get some comedy with doing dumb things and there's nothing wrong with playing the fool card from the tarot you know Mm -hmm. like you need that card and you need the magician but they cut off the magician they cut off the higher self uh so it's an interesting thing um, but I think a lot of that was, like I was saying, I think a lot of that was part of social engineering programs right. and, and we can see how that has affected the culture. And we see like, currently we have like Antifa, right. Wrapped up in the punk movement and all this stuff and the left wing movement. And it's like, you're an anarchist that stands for the opposition of authority group think and people imposing their will upon you like censorship, you know, but yet you turn around and support the left wing, right? You're sitting there like supporting, you know, and, and there's no difference between they are a group thing. It, it is. Yeah, a absolutely. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what, what happened to you guys? Like back in the nineties, at least you had some form of uh, dissonance towards that. And, and at least you were like, no, 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 you know, you're staying away from it. But as soon as 2000 hit, it was like down off this cliff. Right. And I was like, whoa, what happened? So at that point, I stepped back and I was like, what's really going on here? And that's what led me into studying more about a lot of this stuff. And as I furthered my research, I realized that, you know, if you look at the etymology of, of anarchism, which I know you've brought up on here many times, you know, it comes from a Greek word, an, and archon, the absence of is which an is, and then archon is ruler or master, right? Uh, there's actually another definition for archon too in the Greek language, which is the nine magistrates, because it was a statement against the uh, corporatism or 
you know, like the, the magistrates of that time period. And uh, so that's what they meant by archon or authority at that point. So it was standing against the magistrates of Greek, Hellenistic Greek specifically. But the weird thing about the word is that, so we have, uh, so we'll get into some roots here, actually. So let's, okay. let's take you back. We'll go all the way back here to, to the root of the word, uh, is that there's actually no uh, real anarchist philosopher that declared themselves th themselves an anarchist in Hellenistic Greece. So if we look at all the great philosophers, Diogenes, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, none of them actually in their writings would declare themselves an anarchist. But this word arose at that point to describe a social condition, you know, a social condition of resisting against some form of authority, specifically the nine magistrates. Um, so like whenever that would happen, whenever you see somebody resisting the nine magistrates, they'd be like, oh, anarchy or anarchists, you know? Um, but we do see that in stoicism, which rose in that time period, uh, that actually espouses a lot of anarchist philosophies, you know? So in Western occultism and Western philosophy, we see that there is anarchist philosophy being expressed. It's just that there was no literature written written on that or published about that at that time period so we really don't have anything from that period until like 1700 about anarchist right it's just like all this kind of like ambiguity of of the philosophy because there's nobody who actually sits down and is like i am an anarchist and i rebel all forms of authority we just kind of have this uh floaty flimsy philosophy of stoicism that that runs through the middle ages and on up you know and then in the 1700s is when you start to see actual authors coming out like uh prudeau in in uh in europe and italy or um which was one of the first anarchists uh, a lot of people say he is the first you know philosopher of anarchism um and then you have uh let's say like leo tosvoy who comes up he was a Russian. He was a Russian author. He's he's declared one of the greatest authors of all time, but nobody knows who he is. <laughs> you know, it's like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? But if you look him up, it's like, oh, this guy was one of the greatest authors of all time and renowned around the world for his his uh, his teachings and stuff. But he's an anarchist, and you're never taught about him in school. Right. You know, uh, so that you see that in the 1700s, moving into the 1800s, and then by the time you get to the 1900s, you have a really sound philosophy with people that probably are more commonly known, like Lysander Spooner, yes. Benjamin Tucker, uh, Josiah Warren, people like this. You know, and um, and you have a sound system or a formula for like how we could create a stateless society. Because, like, for example, Benjamin Tucker talked about all the economic, uh, you know, issues that we're going to have to face or security issues. Like, how do we deal with nations who are not anarchists? What do we do with that? What kind of self-defense that we can have, you know, in place to defend against foreign invaders or even domestic intruders, you know, uh, or domestic invaders? And uh, how can we battle against the status mindset, whether no matter where it's at, foreign or domestic, you know? So, because that's a big thing that we always get, you know, questioned about, right? It's right. the functionality of how anarchism will actually work in society. And that should be the last thing you, you will build the roads. Man. You will build the roads. What <laughs> will happen if you're invaded? You know? Right. They always have, and then you have to come up with the answer right yeah. there. You have to yeah. answer them or else they'll run back to statism. Like, 
Yeah, yeah, immediately. It's a fallacy too, because it's kind of like a, it's like, oh, if you can't give me the answer, like you said, they're just going to be like, well, obviously you don't know. So, you you know, this is all bullshit. Right. You know, it's like, how am I supposed to believe you? Yeah. Um, so, but that's a trigger in their head that's placed there. Right. It is. From the schooling and all this. Yeah. So, rather, than, rather than saying, hey, you don't have that answer. Maybe I should go look into it. You know, right. like, how do I expect you as a human being who's limited on the capacity of data that you can take in? To have all the answers that I would I need to for a whole society, let alone a whole world, to run off that system. It's like you're you're putting me up on a pedestal as the God, pretty the much. Decider, you know? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're making me the authority at that point. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like whoa. But really, all it's based on is principles. Mm-hmm. It's not like where Marx is like we should do it this way. Right. This is like anarchy is like all these people that you've spoken about, the writers and such, they've stumbled upon this truth. It's not like it. It's not like really a philosophy, even. I mean, right. it's like an right. understanding of reality. And, um, you know, I always talk about it like we do live in anarchy. It is anarchy right now. Mm-hmm. I have free will. You have free will. No one can tell me what to do. They can kill me, but they can't make me pick that cotton, you know, right. what I mean? because I own my body and I do. So like, and then people are like, huh? <laughs> what? And it's like, you know, I tell them like, oh, like what you, you are under mind control right now, which makes you believe that those people can do and all this. And, and then it goes into that conversation. But like right. anarchy is the truth. Really. It is. And like these people, they're clear minded thinkers that have built on this understanding because like for the because for them, they were given the programming of feudalism or, you know, monarchies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it takes it took them that many years of building upon each other's work and like you know stumbling into this like the thought of the reality was there back in greece they didn't have a word for it because no one really thinks about that kind of freedom you know right right you know and it evolved into this understanding and now now we have like a firm rock to stand on yes this is the truth and this is what is reality and yes that is mind control like all statism religions like those are all people managing mind control devices right yes so like it's it's very interesting that um that we like it took us this long to get here and now that we're here we have to explain away like oh this, <laughs> this we can build the roads like this and i'm gonna hire these people and you can do this or that and really all it is is the principle of i own myself and it's wrong to hurt others like those two principles like everything else sorts itself out if you go like if every situation in your life then you get then you weigh it against those principles and then you choose your actions right Right. instead of like weighing it against like the programming you've had oh i'm allowed to step on this person because the color of his skin Uh, you know or i'm allowed to because i have this badge or i have this diploma you know uh, gives me more rights than you like that um that's obviously false and you know but people accept 
this like caste system of classism like they just accept it inherently they've been trained into it they accept the 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 false authority of you know it's like that's what we're trying to break down and dissolve like it antifa wants to break the state and smash the windows you know <laughs> but right. really we got to smash the bars in people's heads like that's the real battle right you yeah i agree with you Rick. yeah yeah no doubt and well said very well said um yeah i mean the the issue is that like you're talking about with antifa i'll approach that first is that uh, a lot of people think that you know going out and destroying small businesses is actually going to get you some freedom you know and it's like you do realize like you're hurting people's means of living their own lives like you're actually becoming the tyrants and that's what i worry about uh, currently is like yeah i believe in the right to uh, protest right to be able to go out and stand against any form of system that's corrupt uh, or business or things like this if it's morally done right um and that should be something that we never lose track of but the other thing is is like then we develop lynch mobs right and lynch mobs are extremely dangerous because that's actually what creates states you know right. So whatever we do today uh, with our with what we're trying to create as a better system sets the precedent, sets the bar for what we're going to build from. Right. So if we're setting the bar with lynch mobs where there's no investigation into any forms of like uh, violent crimes and we're just like, oh, this person said he did this or they said he did this and we just go out and lynch them. We don't have any empirical evidence. We didn't see it actually happen. Like there's all kinds of stuff. So I, I don't believe in the lack of like investigative uh, methods for being able to come to a truth because I use that all the time to come to a truth about all these philosophies. You know, right. I mean, that's what we do. We're investigators. You know, we investigate every aspect of all the details that we can find, all the information we can find. But the other thing I wanted to say is like all that stuff about building roads, that should be the last thing that you think about. The first true. thing that comes is whether it's moral or not, right? right. Whether, whether it's true or not, and then whether it's moral or not, right? right? And then you build upon that. So because all of our actions determine whether we're going to create freedom or not, every action we take is either an action that's going to express freedom or diminish and, you know, destroy freedom. So that's the thing. And that's why... I think that's why those great authors and, and philosophers and, uh, you know, just literary artists in the past kind of came to the those realizations. And obviously they didn't limit themselves. They're like, OK, I, I got the ethics. I got the morality now. Um, now I'm going to uh, uh, start to figure out, like, how this can function so that we can apply this and I can leave this information for posterity and progeny so that the children can really have something to work with in the future. Um, and, and we can actually empirically show like, hey, statism has always been corrupt. You know, government by de facto is slavery. And no matter what, no matter what changes you make in that system, it's always going to be the iron fist coming down on your liberties. You right. know, so pretty much man wants to be the lawmaker. You know, he wants to declare that he is the lawmaker of all laws in the universe. You know, and that's what laws really are, is that we're declaring that we are the creator, the creative force in, in the universe, the highest of high. And we're saying we get to make those rules 
and everybody else has to obey them. And then it kind of goes into the divine right of kings and all that stuff where like who actually is the highest of high in mankind, who gets appointed to uh, that position through like a religious uh, ceremony from God himself or itself. Right. So, uh, and what bloodline makes you, you know, it's social Darwinism. Right. Right. Um, and then that kind of trickles down and it just becomes like, because the bloodline thing doesn't really matter as much anymore. Now, I mean, obviously there's really dark occult bloodlines that are still in control uh, and, and and we know that. Um, but we also see power struggles between those who just rise up and trying to fight that as well. So there's always a power struggle between those at the top and then those underneath that are all fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's all part of it. It's all part of the dialectic. And it's always worked that way. And that's kind of what I wanted to point out earlier is that we're suffering from a problem that's been going on for tens of thousands of years, you know, and, and anarchism or stoicism or whatever you want to point at it as right uh, arose in a time period where like democracy was arising, right. In Hellenistic Greece. And we see now that democracy is nothing but mob rule, you know, and it's mob rule by the most inept and ignorant, you know, right. and it's that lynch mobian idea, right? So right. And, um, that's what made the Holocaust, like that's right. what made, you know, the the Mao's China, like it's um, total mind control, right? Right. And the other thing about the lynch mob thing is that. Um, they also forced all the knowledge out of the temples and destroyed the temples and burned the libraries and all this yeah. stuff, right? So when we have that kind of system of rebellion uh, and authority battling against each other, we have to understand that what we set as the rebels can be very dangerous because if it gets out of control with the groupthink, we're going to end up destroying all the knowledge that we need, which is what happened and all of its uh, detritus of what it used to be. All the ancient, you know, symbolic forms and all the ancient literature, it's we're just like picking up the pieces from it. And now the authorities can rewrite it all, you know, because now it's all ambiguous and it's all gone. So since they're in the position of power, they can be like, oh, we can just write history how we want it, because not only are we the victors, but also these idiots came and destroyed it all. You know, (laughs) They, they came and burned down all the temples and, you know, destroyed all their own. Uh, you know, pathways to their own salvation and their own freedom. So we'll just put them back in uh, serfdom, you know, put them back right. in, in, in um, you know, slavery, obviously, really simple. So yeah. it's that power differential of knowledge that's that's been a huge issue. And that's why occultism has always been an issue to a big right. degree, because they keep the knowledge away from us. That's right. And I mean, that is evident with Antifa. Um, those people have they don't know they're you know they don't know reality they think they're right. anarchists <laughs> you know um, yes. they wear the symbols and it works to like destroy our movement of actual freedom because they're a bunch of rabble rousers that mm. get all the attention and they make all the noise and break stuff and then it like it's a way that the power can destroy the rebel the true rebels by giving these fake rebels out there to like lead the charge. And, you know, Antifa is much more dedicated at hurting and making actions than I am. Like I'll make a podcast, you know, I'll sit down and talk to somebody. Those guys will like get a knife and go out on the streets, you know, smash somebody with a wrench on the head and like give them stitches. Like 
it's really uh you know it's and the self-hatred that you talked about before is a tool um i think that like they give us this this reality of satanism like the like everything that they feed us is the satanic world of just filth and decay and you know we grow up with you know narcissistic parents that are divorcing each other and like they are in a decay state and like you look out at society is all decay and disgusting and then you look in the mirror and like all you've been taught is like you know you're gross and you're killing the world by living and like you know, right breathe carbon and whatever <laughs> like you breathe, like so i mean then we we apply that hatred to ourselves as well and like i had that when i grew up i became satanist i hated the world i hated everything i wanted to tear it all down and like i hated myself and i mean i've i like to say that i've gotten better you know <laughs> but like i've grown and it's like a process but it was i think that that is a reaction like i grew up catholic i grew up you know, in a divorced family. Um, it's, I think that because of the society that they're giving us, people react and they want to be Gigi Allen mm. to be the opposite of their dumbass parents and their evil society. And, but the society lays that out for them. The society says, you can be Gigi Allen, you know, right. like, oh, oh yeah, I'll do that. Like, you know, just like they used to, oh, I want to be Jim Morrison or whatever. It's like, um, and now like we're, we're past Gigi Allen. I mean, I guess nobody's like cutting themselves and smearing shit in the cuts, like on stage, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I see that too much anymore. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you do get the, like the Satanism and like, you know, it's on the Grammys sponsored by Pfizer. Like it's right. Right. And it, it, like that too is a filth that they're smushing in our face. And it's, right. um, and that makes us hate ourselves in the world. And it's like, it's kind of the same effect as like what cannibal corpse used to do. And it's like, but now it's the main the main culture driving the main pop music and all this. And so I, I think that the kids now are going to grow up to hate and they're not going to want to have, you know, like they were forced to wear masks. Their parents are all dumbasses, like mm -hmm. injecting them with jabs and, you know, snipping their penises and like, uh, like they're going to, I think that like this 2030 time is going to be like a real clash of powers i think that people are going to be fed up and they're going to want to go out in the streets and be a gg allen antifa and the rest of us with heads on our shoulders are going to have to defend ourselves from right you know and communist these people they think they're commies they're like an anarcho commie and they think that they need the anarchy to crush the system so that they can have their communist utopia after right and like uh speak about that a little bit. what do you think about that um the the anarcho-communists like the anarchy is just the sledgehammer for them so that they can plant the you know it's it's more statism collectivism 
in the future. Yeah, I think uh, it's a big dilemma, right? Because we, I always call myself an anarchist without adjectives, because I feel like as soon as you put an adjective on it, you've already lost the fundamental principles of it. Right. Um, so if you say anarcho-capitalist, anarcho-communist, anarcho-socialist, anarcho-syndicist, you know, there's all kinds of them, right? There's all kinds of them nowadays. Wow. And they're all fighting with each other, but they have some roots of like some truth in there. So it's it's interesting to me because it's like, oh, you kind of understand, but then you're just like really seeking power. You know, you're just really thirsty and greedy for power. And what you want to do is that you you don't really want to destroy the system. You want to replace the system with your own form of authority, you know. So you're the you're you want to be the ones that are in control of everything, you know. And that's what that really comes down to. And I think, uh, you know, to relate with you, I was a, a Satanist at a really low level back in the day. I never joined, you know, the Church of Satan or anything. But yeah, absolutely. I think we kind of, we always have a natural instinct to rebel against all kinds of stuff. And let's just, uh, uh, side topic here. Like if you, we did live in a status society, right? I think that there will be children who rebel against that stateless society because rebellion is natural, you know? But it's how you deal with that and how you educate your children that will determine like whether that's going to be productive or not. Because rebellion always brings about great change and and great growth if it's used properly. You know, all the great uh, thinkers of the entire history of the world have been rebels of some sort, rebelling against all kinds of stuff. Right? Those are the ones who have always created the growth in society. Um, but yeah, the anarcho-communist thing, and I run into a lot of those people. A lot of them. It's insane how many there are. Um, I think it's really dangerous because, the, first of all, I don't think they understand their ideology that they're espousing. Um, and I, I, I think that they really, you know, are more communist than anarchists because they don't believe in private property, you know. And from what I've seen, being in the anarchist and punk underground movements, uh, they don't respect your stuff. They don't respect themselves. So how can I expect them to build something that's stable for me and my family? You know, how can I do that? How can I put my faith in us and people who do not respect themselves or respect me and my principles and my property? You know, so like I think that's a big issue. Like if you want to say we want to have a commune where we're uh, rebelling against the system, we have a decentralized trading method, you know, and uh, we're working together, we're growing our own food and we share our food and stuff like this. It's fine until you get to the point where people are demanding you to do that without volunteerism and they're using um, forms of moral relativity like coercion to say, you have to do this because you're in this geographical region, you know? And I, and I think that in small pockets, it might function for a time period, right? Just like for a minute. But as soon as you uh, escalate that and expand it into bigger groups of people, it's going to collapse, you know, because no matter what, you might have 10 people that are all in the same ideology in that circle, and they're all agree and agreeing to that, right? But as soon as you get 150 people, well, one of those people are going to be like, no, I'm not dealing with that, you know, like, you're trespassing on my property, you know, you're coming in my house and taking my food, 
You know, like I, this is my garden. I put in my front yard. You're taking food out of my garden, which is taking food from my children, you know, and I'm trying to do something separate, more individual rather than everything else. And I get to freely choose where I put my labor and my resources in the community, right. you know, and I think that's a big issue when it comes to uh, anarcho-communism besides the whole violence thing, you know, with the Antifa movement. So and i have i have i have people that used to be in my band that that are antifa you know and i tell them about how you know it was funded by like george soros and and just you know how it was just artificially stimulated in society and uh and how they become actually fascist which is what they're fighting against you know and and it's like you don't even see this like what you know how can you support something like this and that's why i don't like getting into um labels like i do call myself an anarchist but it's like it doesn't really matter what term you put on it, it what matters is the result you know like you can call it anarchy you can call it freedom you can call it sovereignty i don't care as long as i'm not being coerced by authority figures you know and i really like what you said earlier to go way back uh, uh about that we already already are living in anarchy right I've always stated that nature isn't a natural state of anarchism. You know, one grain of grass doesn't own the other grain of grass, right? And there may be like a form of competition there between one plant and another for like resources at some point. But anarchy doesn't mean the absence of competition when it comes to like social interactions, you know? Uh, there's some competition that's good and some competition that's bad. We just have to discern, you know, which one's good and which one's bad. And sometimes that can get hard, but I, I think competition is a great motivator. You know, uh, I compete with myself all the time in, in many aspects. And that's what monopolies do, right? They limit competition in the market. Totally. So, you know, they don't want you to have any means to compete with them. And that's why we have things like patents, right? Where these big corporations can spend all this money and buy up these ideas really quick and really easy. And then the little man doesn't have any opportunity to compete in right. the market for these ideas because they already got a patent on it. They own it, you know, and we know how many people are poor in the world. You got to pay $20,000 for a four or five year patent on something. It's like, dude, I can barely pay my own bills sometimes, you know, it's yeah. like, come on, how am I supposed to do anything with my ideas? So they can buy it up like that. And then bam, you're, you're out of the market, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think free trade is a really important thing when it comes to these philosophies and understanding that, um, you know, no centralization of any form of uh, uh, of authoritarian power for people transacting with the, each other, whether that's for resources or just for social encounters, you know, because that's what the military is and the police forces are. It's a it's a monopoly on force right? right it's a monopoly on violence and you don't have any other options you know and it's right. like oh i you know if i'm an old lady in a wheelchair and i don't have an, uh, another option to protect myself from other forms of violence that are coming down upon me what do i do well then i go to the state because that's the only option i have so we right. have to have other options for these people because you can't delegate a wrong right but you can delegate a right so you can give somebody else an ability that is correct to do for you. So if I'm an old lady in a wheelchair, I need self-defense. I can, if I want, hire somebody to defend me. You know, right. that is my right to do so because I can't do it myself physically. 
you know, right. so I can't delegate that to somebody else and say, hey, I need help. And if you want to pay for it, fine. I'd rather just it be voluntary because it's a moral obligation. Obviously, it's an old lady in a wheelchair, but, you know, whatever gets it done at that point, you know. Right. <laughs> so. But it's I mean, it's a uh, it's still voluntary for the old lady to choose who's going to do it. Right. Can't make it so the cops are always the one because the cops are like it's been proven in court. It's not their duty to protect us, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like they're allowed to shoot us and whatever. Um, so relying on the enemy to protect you is always a bad idea. Yeah. It's, it's like going to the mafia after they rough you up and you're like, please stop roughing me up. And they're like, well, you have to meet all these demands for us and then we'll right. stop sending our thugs to your business right. to steal your money. You know, yeah, it's exactly I mean, that. It's exactly the mafia, you know? And they give us the TV and the movies to make us think certain <laughs> things, you know, so they don't even have to rough us up, really, you know. Right, right, right. So, I, I always say we go through three phases. We go through fear and then we go through, um, um, what's the other one? I just thought of it earlier. It's uh, fear and then anger and then empowerment, right? So we're scared. This is where most people are stuck. You know, they get so scared. They get one letter from the government saying like, if you don't file this right paperwork, then you're going to be in contempt of this and, and, you're, and we're going to put you, this is fraudulent behavior, whatever, right? And we're going to fine you $50,000 or send you to prison and take your kids away from you, right? And so that's fear. So they immediately go out and fire, file all this paperwork after they beat themselves up because maybe they forgot to do it correctly, you know, uh -huh. and they beat themselves down. And then people get angry. And when you get angry, you know, that's a really good motivator to do something about it. But then a lot of people get stuck there because they don't become empowered to actually create any change. They just fester that that unnecessary anger about everything and they project it on everything else and everybody else around them rather than dealing with it on the inside. Right. And fixing the the, the psychology and, and integrating the shadow self. Right. That's a really important thing that we have to do. Um, and that kind of goes in with what we're talking about with the anarchist movement, because I feel like that they're they're angry. They see the problem. They're not scared. You know, they, I can't say these these people are scared, you know, but I can say they're angry and they direct their anger at themselves or at other people that don't deserve it. You know, so they're angry, but they're not truly empowered, which is finding the real solution, you know, getting in tune with the soul, you know, and then applying that that. Um, solution into physical manifestation and becoming activated. Yeah, like they're so angry they even hate God. No right. gods, no master. Like, um, and then in in so doing, they hate themselves too. You know, they hate the Creator. They hate having been created. You know, right, and right. that's where Satanism wants you. Like that's self-loathing, nihilism. And then they can just say, oh, well, the only thing that matters is sense pleasure and go step on your neighbors and, you know, right. Go take what you want because it's a dog eat dog world. And, you know, and then it creates a Satanism in the in society, creates all the chaos so that they need. So we need to we plead, oh, government, save us from our crazy neighbors. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a big trap. It's a trap. And, and I like the empowerment thing because like the empowerment stage 
you got to listen and look at what's what really like if you go out in the streets and yell that's not much empowerment there and like the state told you oh if you're mad about us go out in the streets and yell with a cardboard sign right really like what it takes is to get empowered on in your own self to do it yourself without the government start an agorist community with your neighbors like st <clears throat> actually grow things of value out of the ground right instead of like going and asking for a boss to like you know give you money <laughs> like, you know, um it's it's a totally different dynamic and that's where we need to be uh there's a lot of great anarchists in the movement that are working for that um the the greater reset is like a run by john bush and Derek bros they're trying they're thinking out of the box trying to help people to connect with themselves with others like right. them start you know because that's really <clears throat> i find that's the only solution for getting free you can't ask them hey give me freedom because that right there is your can you you are condoning their ownership of you like when like when we vote or something we say okay that person gets to own me now <laughs> you know yeah it's and, a validation yeah and it yeah. also makes us like stand down and like oh well, i'm mad at my government but well it's what i get because i voted for it so you know it's like a it's a mind control device to us like right they, just going to the place and checking the box makes us like condone all of the bad stuff you know it's like our agreement um so but anyway um like they we need to be on a different we need to think in a totally different way in order to be empowered because if we're just going to do what they tell us like go in the streets and yell go break some windows at starbucks <laughs> go read some Karl Marx or something, right? right. You know, it, it's we're just gonna fall right into their trap, and they're gonna use us as the sledgehammer to get what they want, and it's gonna be more statism in the end. It's gonna be more compliance with authority. Um, I think really that's where we're at right now. I, guess I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's exactly where we're at, and I like what uh, Derek Bros is doing. I've always enjoyed his work. Um, he does amazing, amazing work out in the community. He's really interactive with people, which is what we need more, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't think a hot revolution is the solution. I think the, a hot revolution would end up right back where we're at. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier, which is like we set the precedent for where we're going to be. And the realism of it is how many people in this hot resolution, revolution or resolution, right? Resolution. But uh how many of these people actually understand natural law or, you know, objective morality or objective exactly. truth, you know? And at some point, if you're, if your militia is so small that you have to compromise on like filtration where people are coming in, be like, oh, this is a prerequisite for you to be part of the militia being the understanding of objective truth, morality, and natural law. Well, then, you know, you need sympathy from other people. So you're going to try to gain sympathy from people who do not have those principles because you don't have the the manpower or the resources or the right amount of people to actually fight against this right so it's not going to work because i don't think realistically we have those kind of numbers principles 
to right, get right. more numbers, right? Yeah, we're going to compromise principles. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, really what you need to do, what everybody needs to do is take care of their own family. <laughs> you know, you don't need to group up, like know your neighbors and stuff. But, you know, the idea of being in a group is giving your will to the collective. Right. You know, it's always bad. Like, even if you're doing good, whatever, like if your will is the same as your neighbor and you're going out and doing it together, then that's cool. But if you're like, well, I have to join this group in order to protect and I have to pay these dues and I have to be there every Tuesday and they, you know, I, whatever, I don't know what the fuck, but right. Right. You know, it's, uh, if we all take care of our family, then everybody will be protected because <laughs> we all got a family, you know, it's it like we, um, like, again, we're trapped in the mindset of collectivism, even when we're trying to think of a solution for it, you know, and people like they fall into the traps of like, you know, those people in Michigan or whatever that were led by the FBI to fall into this trap of like trying to, in quotes, uh, kidnap the governor or whatever. Mm -hmm. there, was like, there was like 11 FBI agents and like two regular people. And those people just fell into the snare, you know, just because they wanted to be part of the group because they thought that they needed to be in order to make a change. And that group uh, was controlled by the bad guys. The FBI like led them to bad things, <clears throat> you know, and they didn't have a moral compass. They weren't like, no, I'm not going to kidnap somebody, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. If I mean, they're, they're uh, w like we're total, we're total tools for them until we recognize moral objectivity and self-ownership. Uh, I think that, you know, that's why uh, Passio rails so heavily on the natural law stuff, because that's the opposite of Satanism. You know, he's working towards uh, the real solution, it, you know, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that that's that's the only way that I was able to get control of my life is to, to gain, to, to act morally and with principles and with the understanding that I own myself. Like now I can control things. Now I, now I feel like I'm a good dad and I'm like, you know, being a, like a worthy person. Like I, you know, it, when, when you start doing the actions, then you, you get the self-respect and you get the, um, you know, I, like people, because they're not living morally, they're also led into the self-hatred. I think because subconsciously they know they're evil and they're doing bad or whatever, harming others. And it still tears you down, even if you don't know it. And, you know, you go like try to do more drugs or, try to wear more patches or like, do, you know, <laughs> do more flips on the skateboard or whatever. And it, but it doesn't go away. And it's right. like, um, it's a constant, uh, like hook dragging you down into this immoral Satanism. And, you know, like you said, you had, you know, being in that skater community, uh, do you see that self-hatred was the main problem with these, these kids? 
I think it's definitely a huge problem. I think uh, they don't really have a moral compass. You know, they don't really have a good strength and conscience because of parental abandonment issues or, you know, some type of uh, social trauma, you know, social dynamic trauma or just, you know, trauma-based mind control in general, right? Um, so, yeah, I do think that's a huge issue is self-loathing and then apathy. You know, I think they don't care. Right. So they just don't care about anything. So they don't have any purpose. And that's kind of what got me into studying philosophy was because obviously philosophy has a huge issue. Right. Because it it doesn't actually get you to apply anything unless you're really living through what you found to be objectively true. But I think that without, you know, having some firm basis and things like epistemology, uh, you don't really have you won't be able to compete with the scholars or the academics of the world. Like you're just going to sound like a complete idiot. You know, if you try to convince a scholar who's been studying philosophy for 30 years uh, of anarchism, they're going to be like, well, what about all this stuff? You know, and they'll bring up all these uh, gray areas where they'll try to, you know, um, break down your arguments. Right. 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 Absolutely. And I've argued, I've debated a lot of people like this. So I had to strengthen my, my ability. And so I ended up studying a lot of philosophy, which is like the four branches of philosophy is epistemology. uh, And then you have ethics and logic and metaphysics, you know, so you have those four, those are the basic four. And then you have other things like axiology, ontology, a bunch of other stuff. But, um, you get those four down then you're good like if you get your epistemology down then you can combat the the psychological illness of solipsism because you figure out that there is such thing as truth and that you're not here alone you know so it's a justification for knowledge itself like how can you justify what knowledge actually is if it's useful you know that you can actually share it things like this right and then from there you can get your logic in order which kind of applies with you know, all these interconnect. So you can't have one without the others, obviously. Um, but then you get your ethics, right? After you get your logic, which is being able to critically think, you know, problem recognize, problem solve, you know, use scientific methodologies, use the trivium, especially. Uh, then you get your ethics, you know, you get your morality, you apply the knowledge into society. So you can say like, hey, these behaviors are objectively wrong. And if you ask anybody, for example, about a universal that's really inherent, which is like, is rape, you know, universally wrong, everybody will say yes in most cases. You know, you're very rarely going to find someone to say no to that. But then they'll turn around and be like, oh, but culture makes up morality or, you know, whatever you were taught in your culture or your geographical location determines that. And it's like, well, you just contradicted yourself, you know, because you're saying that rape is not acceptable across the universe it's a universal wrong no matter where you go you know if my sister goes to pluto and there's some alien there that rapes her it's wrong no matter what even if their culture accepts it you know um and then you get metaphysics right and metaphysics is the big one which talks about you know things that are non-physical you know so it talks about the, the godly uh aspects of everything which can really combat the atheism you know, so I think that we're not taught any of these things and they wait intentionally to teach you about these things until college, if you even go into that realm, uh, so that you do not have the tools at hand to be able to critically think about stuff. Because these things teach you how to think rather than what to think. 
And that's what we're brought up in these indoctrination camps to do, right? We're taught what to think, not how to think about these things. So that's the biggest issue I see. So yeah, in the punk community, it's just rampant and, and you know, skater community, community it's just rampant uh, hedonism and, and apathy to a big, uh, big extent. And then when I started to say like, you know, skating isn't, or what, what I said was, you're not going to skate your way into freedom. <laughs> People got so mad at me about it because it is their expression of freedom. You know, that's like, this is how I'm yeah. expressing my freedom away from authority. Oh yeah. Good for you. But you're not going to be able to, to actually effectively bring about more freedom for everybody. Holistic freedom you right. know, from yourself. It's like, I'm going to play my guitar into freedom. You know? Right. There's a South Park episode where like, the hippies make this hippie festival for like freedom or whatever. And then they just jam just constantly <laughs> on their guitar and they're all just standing around like, woo, we're fighting. When's it going to happen? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's just endless jamming and hanging out. Right. And yeah, that was very, so um, the, well, the thing is, is that if the, the people aren't given the, um, the moral objectivism, when they're told rape is bad, but then when culture changes, that can change too. Right. They don't have that foundation of actual ethics and morality. Um, You know, like now they, they're changing culture. uh, You know, they have been over the years, like ever since Kinsey, like now it's cool to, bestiality is cool like you know carnism is next or not well that too but i mean like cannibalism is next right um they're changing it slowly the overton window moves along and you know now it's okay to do whatever happened in sodom and gomorrah and now it's okay to like divorce your family and it's okay to kill your babies like you know it's slowly being satanified i mean the the satanic temple just opened their first religious abortion clinic (laughs) it doesn't surprise me but that's just crazy that we live in a world like that you know right right i mean like and they say it's for it's their that is their ceremonial that's their uh their ceremony is to abort babies. Yeah, they're for letting sacrifices, right? Yeah. <laughs> they say that and they invite women to do that. And it's, I mean, at least they're being honest about it. Whereas Planned right. Parenthood like saying, we're helping your family. Like, right, right. Sterilize right. the woman as they're doing it. You know, it's, um, I mean, it's an attack, it, uh, but it's, they're 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 putting it so i mean if they if they don't teach us how to think or the moral relativism in the beginning then they can just push all this stuff in later they can just change the culture and we know that they create the culture like you know we saw the 60s and you know the punk movement too was part of that you know the uh the lead singer the Cro-Mags, that guy was diddled by alan ginsburg when he was a kid right he was that milieu of the 60s counterculture that was destroying people and you know and then they put him out there and then they had this thing and he's got this you know anger 
stage and they're doing that and people get attracted to that because everybody's angry at society and uh um it's really it, it's all traps it's so many traps <laughs> yeah group think is extremely dangerous you know because you have to appeal to the group for morality which there can never be conscience in a group you know only an individual has conscience you know right. and and with all the fundamental like issues with multiple individuals coming together to express their conscience they all overlap way too much especially when you have moral relativism backing that conscience you know so it's like oh okay so who do we go to we go to an authority figure in the group who happens to be the most popular maybe the most well-spoken or the most assertive or the you know most aesthetically handsome or beautiful or whatever it might be right we look for these superficial characteristics to be like hey i'm gonna follow this guy and then everybody follows that yeah i i have a big issue with the punk punk community as well because you got people like jello by offer right oh, and, and i had jello by offer play at my 27th birthday at my house which was wild and then yes. like, a few years later I see him running around with a, a democratic shirt on, you know, like support democracy. And then like, I am a Democrat. And I'm like, what happened to you, dude? Like now he's got, he's, he's got the, what would Jello do? The podcast. Right. And he took a, he took the jab on camera. Mm -hmm. and he yeah. People that we got to wear a mask and stuff. And then he said, any that song, Nazi punks F off. Yeah, he did that again, but he calls it Nazi Trumps, Nazi Trumps, Nazi Trumps. Right, right. And yeah. I, like, I went to see him speak. Uh, he did spoken word for a long time, and I went to see him speak. He was, uh, it was like after the Columbine thing, and um, and he was selling T-shirts that had the Nazi flag, and it said "Vote Republican." I was like, what? The fuck? What the hell? Dude, you know, like he was just hating on Republicans. Like, yeah. You know, like it's it's really like that. He was doing it then. And he just like now he's taking the jab. He works for them. He's like, it's like he pulled the mask, you know, in the beginning he was set up as the rebel. Like, look at him. He's fighting Tipper Gore, you know, yeah. he's like uh, putting images of Christ in his record. And he's like fighting the powers that be or whatever and he you know and he would talk about like you know you rich kids need a holiday in cambodia to know right. what real communism is like but now he's it's this like totally the other direction and yeah. uh it's very sick and a lot of the punks from you know like patty smith took the jab on camera like um a lot of them like I, i'm not gonna i can't think of all the names right now but there's right. a of these rebels that are just totally slaves to the state um and they're just leading us to the slaughter yeah, i mean it's cool that he played your show and like that he was there at skatopia and like but it's it's too bad that uh you know i mean he's singing like these real songs holiday in cambodia but then he's like yeah. gets off the stage like i went and i saw him play the, um i saw the melvins uh in san francisco and they did eggnog lysol like full album together and right was there in the crowd and he had like this baby blue tuxedo with like a the ducktail thing on it there you know 
And like, we were like getting picture with him and like, Hey, you know, and he was asking us about who we're going to vote for. Mm. And he's like, you know, telling people what to vote for in the crowd at a Melvin show. It's like, dude, come dude. on. You know? Yeah. And dude. Even like back then, I was like, wow, that dude sucks. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, uh, it was really weird the interaction that I had with him at my birthday. And, uh, and it kind of turned me off from him after he played because he played Jello by Offer. He didn't play Dead Kennedys at that point. Right. right. Um, so after I like talked to him, I was like, this guy seems like uh, just a fake person. Like he just doesn't seem. Like he's actually embodying what he's talking about in his music to the degree that I would expect somebody like him would. Um, but we see that all over the place. Like I used to be a big fan of Rage, Raging Against the Machine. And then later I'm like, yeah, you guys are Raging Against the Machine? Like what's going on here? Like you guys yeah. are liberals now, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, wow, what, what happened to you? But, you know, so we can talk about that a little bit. Like, so we have... Uh, you know, we have the, the liberal concept, right, which is kind of non-orthodox. And then we have the conservative, right, which is orthodox by the book. So it, it makes sense that the that the uh, that the punk community is like not by the book. Right. Because they're like, oh, we're so open. Oh, this is Karl Marx's book. But yeah, and this is Karl, no, that's a good point. Hey, that's a good point. <laughs> good point, actually. Yeah. I'm going to have to use that. I'm going to say something like that to somebody that I know. Um, but yeah, so it's like non-orthodox, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like fight against all the uh, Western traditions, right? Uh, you know, stable monogamous marriages, you know, um, <clears throat> having a family, you know? All this stuff, right? Just all the all the family like takes away power from the state. That's right. why I wanted to take the kids away and train them and the other, you know, so they didn't bond with their parents. And that yes. like, it was a total attack on that because the family unit is the main power of society, and if they can usurp that into the state, like so, that's the goal. But go yeah, ahead. Uh, no, that's right. That's well said. That's kind of like what, like what the. Uh, one of the uh, main tenets of the Black Lives Matter movement was was destroy the Western family dynamic, and you can go right to the to the creator's page of Black Lives Matter, and he's like, "This is what we want." And one of them, like in the top five, was like, "Destroy the Western family dynamic," you know. <clears throat> so right. yeah, so they, then gangs will run rampant and statism. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a great idea, you know. And it's funny because in the black community, the reason why there's so much crime is not because they're black. It's because they have single mother homes, you know, right. it's because they come from broken families and they're poor, right. you know. It's, it's because they're by the right. And they give the mother more money if the dad is gone. That's right. They give the mother more money. So that's incentivized. So the females are definitely like incentivized to break the family down get a divorce, get half the resources. They get all kinds of government programs that can support them and all these right. free things. housing. Free housing. Yep. And then the men are obviously the enemy, especially white Caucasian, right. you know, men, especially so masculine men. Out there to gather them all up and then we'll make money from the taxpayer by putting them in this cage over here and charge $75,000 a year just to keep them in a cage. Right. right. Then we'll charge the taxpayer to pay for his wife and his family so like really like that that's communism right there like everybody has to pay for everybody else like by way of right I, I told this to a girl i knew one time i said uh 
you know, okay, because we were talking about abortion, right? And you brought up abortion. I was like, okay, so you want to have the choice to abort a living sentient being, you know? Um, well, <clears throat> where, where's your equality in this? Like, because you're going to turn around and force the dad to pay for the finances of that baby. If, if you do have the baby, right? So can a father like abort the financial strain that they have? Like, can they just say, can I, you know, I choose not to, well, I don't want to be engaged in the finances at all. Can they have that choice? Oh no, you can't have that kind of equality. You know, but the women get all the choices when it comes to abortion. So it's kind of like this weird double standard they have. And uh, she shut the she shut up really quick, you know, after that. And, that. and I'm not in support of the abortion, but I like to try to twist things. Like, hey, you're for equality. Are you for equality for for men too? You know, like where can we find equality when it comes to choices for children? Like, do I have a choice? Right. Do I have a choice to keep the baby or not? Like, can I have that choice or is all the power in the, in the female, you know? Um, and if I don't have that choice, what choices do I have as a man when it comes to that kind of system? Right. Well, we don't, we don't have, I mean, and ultimately the mother isn't having a proper choice either because she doesn't right. understand. She's trained into thinking that it's empowering to kill her own bloodline. Like, right future of of their family tree is being culled because of this mind control and you know the the kid there's also equality for the kid the child is in a as a soul in a body and they can't speak for himself and who speaks for that you know they my body my choice but the the child has a body mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? right given to him by the creator by by the parents for creating him you know they right so it's like uh there is okay. no there is no right to kill another one you know what i mean the baby didn't harm you <laughs> you know it's just like growing that's all like yeah yeah it's despicable they look at it as a parasite they have put it in medical journals as a parasite too now they've yeah. written medical journals to make it say it's a parasite and it's and like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Paul, I've heard him talk about when he was in medical school, they were telling people to call it a fetus, not a baby. Right, right. right. They were changing the words back then. And he spoke about how, like, that changes our mindset, you know. And he saw, he saw, like, what, you know, in medical school, they, you know, aborted this baby and it was still alive. And it was like in the bin, you mm. know, and they were not paying attention to it. They're just like, and that really shook him, you know, and he grew up to deliver many babies, like, he, you know, in his career. And, um, you know, I still have a lot of respect for that dude. Uh, um, but, you know, people need to recognize it is a baby, you know, even right. though it's like microscopic. And like, if, if we had, principles and moral objectivity then we wouldn't be able to you know justify oh well it's my right to do so like oh well do you have the right to kill him when he's 12 right know, yeah they say it's a, like, a bundle yeah. of cells right they call it a bundle of cells and it's like too, right? i'm a bundle of cells does that mean it applies to me oh right. no it's inside the womb so it's fine and it's like well really? then when you location have, the location determines right. it it's like how does the location change the moral factor? Well, now 
now when you have a monetary value on the parts because you mm. can sell the parts and then if the head is still in the vaginal canal and not it's not born yet so they birth them backwards full term so they have a full baby's worth of parts and then they stab it in the back of the head with scissors and scramble the brain while it's still in the mother yeah so it's still a, it's still abortion like hillary clinton wants that for us like they you know a lot of the democrats think that's okay and i mean that's way more horrific than anything that they could do to us as an adult like that's like the worst yeah. kind of death i can imagine and so like and that's happening like once they do that then they sell the muscles they sell the organs that whatever you know yeah. It's a cyberpunk dystopia world where body parts are sold off as, you know, commodities, right? It's just yeah. it's super horrible. And we have so many movies. It's interesting because you bring up movies a lot. And I'm a huge movie buff. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I'm a huge movie buff. And uh, and I've always been interested in sci-fi movies, um, especially things like uh, Equilibrium, you know, Blade Runner. And movies like this really intrigue me. You can do anything with sci-fi. You can right. just scenario right absolutely and i think that there are some a lot of you know fragments of truth in it and it's like you have predictive programming obviously in there where they're like hey we're going to tell you what we're doing obviously before we do it but then there's other aspects of like subversion of that within uh, many fields of, of cinema where people are actually trying to inject you know these ideologies and be like this is what they're doing you know like yeah. eyes wide shut is a good example of like hey this is what they're doing and that's why I think Kubrick was actually killed, you know, and murdered because of that movie. Right. Um, and there's a big thing around that. And I know you talked a little bit about that. And, and yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's so true. Um, and they took out what, like 20 minutes of the movie or something. They took a lot of it out. Rumor. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know if I can prove that because all yeah, the people, I, don't know. I, I haven't been able to prove it. Like on all the, like his coworkers and all, they all say that that's, they actually added, the opening thing with the with her between the pillars and dropping her dress they added mm -hmm. that um at the very beginning after he was gone but um but i agree and there's a lot more other <clears throat> there's directors now which are revealing more uh there's a new director named ari aster mm, who yeah. did midsomar and hereditary yes and um that has a lot of truth in it and that, you know, the Midsomar talks about groupthink, cult mentality, and how they can assimilate violence into their loving ethics. It's, it's really, it's, a, it's an interesting um, piece about, like, like, what humans can do, what their minds are capable of. Uh, they can accept death and murder and, like, these sacrifice rituals because... You know, and they're trained in, and it's the same as the pagan, ancient paganism. So it's it's very telling because, uh, you know, the occult powers that be are performing the same ancient paganism. Like Eyes Wide Shut had um, had the Star of Ishtar, and mm -hmm. it, it was a fertility ritual. You know, it's the same. It's the same basic idea and they're revealing it like that it is the same old religion that's always been there you know and um you know i think that there's you know i think there some some directors are like 
because I, I think that we want to express ourselves as human artists, you know, and so they want to put it in there. They want to, you know, show the symbols so that the other people that have the knowledge will see it and they can, sh you know, see how they can, you know, remark on how great of a piece of work it is. Um, I think that that's part of it. Uh, we're, I'm actually, uh, I think at the end of the week, I'm going to have Leah Boone on uh, Wake the Dead here, and we're going to talk about oh. we're gonna have to talk about the Dark Shine. Yeah, I'm very psyched too. I'm psyched. Yeah, I like her. She did some work on uh, Dark Shine, which is like the Satanists um, revealing their Satanism on purpose, and like what it does for the power, and like how it feeds their ego, and like it's a. Uh, we're going to get into that, and like I think that 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 has something to do with it too. So um, uh, there are a lot of reasons why they put it in the culture. And if we can wake up and see the symbols, you know, and, and if we have principles, then we won't fall into the trap. If we have morality, we'll, <clears throat> we won't fall into that. Oh, well, that's a powerful thing for me. I think I'll do that also and like be Satanist too, you know, like fall into that <clears throat> because they yeah. want us to be Satanists too, to like right. work for their power structure and their hierarchical. Romanticize. Yeah. It gets romanticized a lot. I uh, like what you're saying. There. That's cool that uh, Leah is coming on. That's really cool. Yeah. Very really excited. awesome. She's such a good person. I'll be uh, interested in watching that. Uh, yeah. But you brought up uh, Midsommar and man, that movie is so, so good. You know, because at the beginning, you have the, the girl, the girlfriend who goes through the traumatic death of her sister, uh, the suicide death, right? And that's kind of how they get you, right? They, they traumatize you from something or you just have some natural trauma that happens and it opens up your mind to be influenced in many ways. And then the next stage is the psychedelic, you know, the psychedelic influences. And then, you know, from the psychedelic influences, you really, really are even more open after you've been traumatized. Now you do these psychedelics and it's like, you're just a blank slate for whatever yeah. sorcerer that comes in and puts their own program into you. And I like what you said about paganism, because I have a huge issue with uh, neo-paganism and even old paganism. And I see a lot of people falling into it. And I feel that it's, I feel that, you know, it's very romanticized too. And I understand like they're trying to be naturalistic, you know, but I also see that there's a lot of um, versions of it that are very toxic and very um, not for what we're actually standing for, you know. So somebody may argue, well, that's the perverted versions of it. And OK, you know, I can get behind that if you want to call that. But from my from my research into it, it seems like that's kind of been the case for since it's, uh, you know, the beginning of it. So I like what you you, that you brought that up because I don't hear anybody ever saying that, you know, anybody else bringing that up. But yeah, well, the ancient paganism sacrificed babies. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's yeah. parenthood is sacrificing babies, and right. the temple is sacrificing babies. So it's like what same old, same old guys. You know what I mean? And it's and they they justify their immorality with their, you know. Uh, Oh, they look at the nature and see, oh, there's decay also. So we have to revere that too. You know, I'm sorry I interrupted you there. But... Oh, no, you're good. You're good. This is a great conversation. Uh, I think like paganism kind of stems out of some form of Neoplatonism, which I feel is a huge issue uh, 
uh, when it comes to uh, classical history, you know, and, and and Platonism itself when in classical history. Um, so, you know, there's a big issue with that, and it, and it goes into hermeticism and stuff like that because I have some contention with some hermetic things, not all of it, obviously. I think it's more sound than most of the Western right. occultism that we find, right? But there are some some dilemmas in there, obviously. But I want to go back to Midsommar and uh, Hereditary because when I study those movies, um, you know, Midsommar is filmed pretty much all in the light, right? So it's cult work in the light. It's in the daylight. So it's visible, you know, and then Hereditary is all dark. So he has these two pillars in his, uh, you know, filmography and these two pillars. I don't think you can understand one without the other. You know, because you have one that's dealing with more of a possession-based, demonic, you know, you have the hereditary, which has the demon. I can't remember his name, but... Haman. Uh, Haman. Yeah, yeah, that's... M-O-N. And right. it is it was the same symbol as Paymon from the Goetia. Right. And Alistair Crowley contacted Paymon. Right, um, right. This is a very important demon that has legions of, of demons beneath him or whatever. Uh, it was a very similar symbol. It looked they were like four, like upraised bump things, and then and then the director took it down to three. He changed it a little bit. So I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to do the bad magic like on film. <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh, payment is like from the Goetia, from like uh, John D contacting the the you know getting the 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 uh, magic uh language of right. Enoch or whatever. The Enochian uh, language, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like, that is a real thing and that um I don't know about the taking the head off. I don't know exactly what that symbolizes. I have to think about that. I think maybe it's like to remove the will from the body. I don't know. Um because so that the demon can take full possession, you know. Uh right. I don't know what that symbolizes exactly, but that's what I would guess. But uh, yeah, I do see that they're like one is dark and one is light, but it's still possession. Yeah. Like she gets at the end of Midsommar, she accepts willingly the violence of the cult and then does violence too. It's like a blood in type thing. And, you know, and I assume we assume that she's just part of this cult now. You know. Right, right. That is true. The the uh, Midsommar, she is possessed by the ideas of the cult, you know, right. so we can look at it that way. And at the end, you have the uh, the bare sacrificial ceremony in Midsommar, right, which is really symbolic because originally, like me and Doug talk about the stellar mythos and stuff like this, uh, Ursa Minor, where right. Polaris is, is symbolic of the Northern Pole Star, you know. Right. And it's symbolic of the highest of the high, the grand architect of the universe. And it's the little bear, you know. So you have this masculine figure within a pyramidal shape, you know. It's not completely a pyramid, but it's a tri triangular right. shape. And then the the the, um, the treehouse at the end of Hereditary is the triangular shape too, you right. know. So you have these, um, these uh, tri kind of symbolism going on in it i haven't watched it in a long time but it, there's a lot in there you know there's there's a yeah. deep and i really like midsummer because of the too. fertility ritual that's going right. on and you have a uh, uh, may day the may dance going on right right and, and it's like it's kind of like a um like a, uh 
homage to the wicker man mm, yes one christopher lee in the 70s um and in that one uh the dude was put in a bear costume. He was in a bear right. costume, like trying to infiltrate and be like dress up. And um, so that, that too, like it used that then. And that one was very occult and had lots of real stuff in it too. And Christopher yeah. Lee was like the, uh, the, the bad guy gets to speak all the truth. You know, he had some good monologues in there. Uh but that, you know, once you start into this, like, it's not just a movie. A lot of times it's like programming a worldview, you know. Um, I don't know what Ari Aster is really up to. But, <laughs> right. You know, he's, he's making some really good art. Yeah, he, he has some knowledge. Right, right. He has some occult knowledge. Um, uh, Christopher Lee used to be one of my favorite actors and he always played the dark occultist. Right? right. And there's a movie. Uh, what is it called? It's called the devil rides out. Have you ever seen that movie? I think I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it has the, uh, cremation of care at the, at the, I think it's in the beginning of, or the mid of the movie actually. And you see like the Illuminati ritual that's going on and they have the purple, like the head dude has the purple gown and he's representative of the highest authority and right. Baphomet actually, they summon Baphomet in it. It's a really crazy old, old movie. And I always turn people onto that, but Christopher Lee in that is actually a light occultist in that one, which is kind of off putting because he's like fighting against the Satanism, you know, yeah. and, and the guy who, uh, they summon a devil, I think, it was either it might have been Baphomet himself. They do that later, but earlier on, they have a, a black guy that represents de the devil, and he's African. So you know, there's there's a lot of symbolism in that. Um, so it's wild. It's kind of funny too. It's like a, you laugh your ass off about it. Um, but you brought up the bear thing, and I've been studying bear symbolism quite a bit lately. And we find that there's bear cults all over the world that currently are in effect today, right? So we find them in Italy, we find them in Japan, they have the bear dances, the indigenous Native American people have the bear dance currently, and it's a fertility dance, it's a fertility ritual that's carried on from these ancient totemic cultures. And, um, and it's really interesting because the bear always symbolizes the female for fertility. So in like the Native American, I think it's the, the Ute, the UTE uh, tribe, they do it to awaken the bear spirit um, from the dormant hibernation that he's in so that he can find a mate. So when they do their dances, the females will dance and then they'll pick a mate in out of the group, you know, so they get to choose who they mate with uh, during the spring, right? So this it's bear like ritual. and Tammuz. Mm. Same thing. When Tammuz comes up from the underworld, he fornicates with Ishtar and then it creates fertility on the land. Right. Like, is that what this is about? Creates yes. Like the beginning of spring. Absolutely. It's, uh, it relates all to agriculture was one of, and that's one of the most, you know, fundamental sciences of all these ancient cults, right? right. And ancient like nature cults is agriculture because that was the, the thing that was solidifying the development of society growth and their connection to nature and all those things. So yeah, it's always about fertility when right. it comes down to it. It's it's all about the sex, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's where we have where we're like God is like when we combine the male and female together, and then creation happens, and then another right. 
exists. Like that is really the only divine power that we have is to create. <laughs> to create. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I we make art too. Like that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. We try to emulate the divine and, you know, we all are aspects of the divine in many ways, you know, right. in our holistic being, we definitely are, um, fractal portions of the one great spirit, you know, and I, and, and kind of wrapping that back around to the punk community. I think that's why we have such an atheistic movement. Um, and that's why the abortion stuff runs rampant in the punk community is because they're extremely atheistic and they have no direction. So they've, we have this oppression of, you know, the Christian Christendom, right? We have this oppression of the Roman Catholic church and all the other sects of the church and, you know, Christianity in general, and they're like, well, I'm completely rebelling against all that, so I'm going to Satanism, or I'm going completely atheistic. You know? yeah. yeah, right, right. I get, I get it, you know, because it's all through our whole culture. We live in like this solar cult world, you know, right. where it's just like everything is based around the solar cult, but it's really the dark solar cult or the cult of the black sun, you could say, you know, and. Uh, and yeah, so it's like they rebel against that. So they go to the complete opposite extreme. And when they do that, you know, they're, they're being controlled because it's a dialectic, you right. know, and the, the dark occultists understand that they're going to have both these dynamics, those who willfully obey and those who will completely resist. And they use that, like you said, the Overton window in many aspects to control that paradigm of how that's shifting and how that applies into society and in politics, right? So we see, like, when Trump came into being, I saw so many anarchists run right to the ballot and start voting. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, where, where did that yeah. come from, bro? What the heck? How did that happen? And I was just so astounded. I'm like, you do realize that you're, you're condoning, you're advocating for, and you are supporting slavery upon your fellow man and yourself you know like you're literally advocating for them to place artificial and arbitrary laws into the system that can violate my liberty so how can i like i now i don't want to be around you really because it's like what else will you do if you'll do it at that level you know yeah yeah they enslave all of us you know yes. they're all agent smith <laughs> they're all gonna... yeah, they're all agent smith you got that right <laughs> maybe someday uh we'll have like maybe we could have a round table on movies and, and yeah. we need to talk to douglas about movies too because he's got a lot of stuff going you know he yeah he's extreme he's he's the guy who got me into movies really like extremely deeply he gave me my first cinematic book like cinema language and cinema photography and you know i think he studied it in school i believe uh he knows a lot uh, about movies yeah, we should work something. We should make something happen. And, I'm um, down for that. I'm totally yeah. down. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, this has been a pleasure, man. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I agree. I'm going to have to get off here soon. Okay. You got, uh, I got some. It's fine. With me. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, you coming and talking about um, anarchy and how it applies today in the world, What you how you see it. And I'm glad that you could, you know, share your time with us. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate, and we know, we, we love to, you know, we know that you're a good friend of the show and we want to highlight your work and, uh, where can people find you? Uh, seedtruth.com, please. 
Yeah, you can find me at seedtruth.com. Uh, I have all my presentations, essays, and links on there. I think I have a link tree on there that will direct you to all my other channels. You can also find the Seed Truth Academy on YouTube and Odyssey and BitChute. Um, you can also find me at the One Great Work Network as well. Uh, if you just go to the creator page at the top of the, the screen where the tab is, and then you'll find Brandon Martin underneath that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much where I put all my work. And then I do a co-hosting with Nathan Cap uh, from the Cubby Hole podcast. I haven't been on there in a little bit. We've kind of been taking a hiatus, but there's tons and tons of podcasts on there. And we get into movies, we get into mind control, we get into a lot of that stuff. And it's a really uh, great place for people to start. But if you go there, make sure to start at episode one, because if you go all the way to the end, you're not going to understand what we're talking about. So make sure to start at episode one. Uh, but yeah, Sean, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation, man. I've been looking forward, you know, to this for a long time and I'd love to come back on anytime, man. Just hit me oh, up. Man. Well, Brandon, you're always welcome. And thank you so much for sharing, uh, what you've learned and how you see things. And, um, we, uh, we'll definitely do this again, man. And thank you again for joining us on wake the dead and thank you listeners. We will see you next time.